Hey everyone, welcome to The Start. I'm your host, Patrick Johnson, and this episode is a really dope-ass episode. Um, we are with designer Karim Suer. Karim currently works at Operator, uh, which is a company based in San Francisco. Prior to that, he worked uh, at Fitbit. He also worked at Omada Health. I'm not saying any of these in his chronological order. I'm just saying them. Uh, and he did some time as a freelancer. This episode is really, really fun. I met, I per usual, I gush a little bit about how much I have been into his work and followed him online and stuff. Uh, but it was really nice to talk to him. It, we had a pretty interesting conversation in the beginning and throughout, actually, about nutrition and health, um, which ended up getting a little bit meatier and a little bit deeper, talking about this idea of working in a 100% digital landscape, right? If you think about some of the work that we do, digital design, whether it's product design or working in an agency as a designer, building websites and applications, that kind of stuff, or working as a programmer, building these tools and these applications and, and whatever that we use and how that work should complement your offline life. So with Karim, he worked at Fitbit when it was just like, you know, like eight people. And this was before like fitness trackers were really popular. But while he was there, you know, he got to learn a little bit about his health. He got to track his activity. Um, and I'm sure he may have had realizations that I've had because I use a Fitbit, um, which is that like I'm not as active as I thought I was. Um, so he got to actually use these tools that he got to design for to make them even better. Um, he mentions another instance when he was at Omada Health. They had like a 16-week – these are my words – week health cha- 16-week health challenge. Um, and there he like worked with nutritionists, worked with trainers, all that kind of stuff. And he lost a, a, a good amount of body ma- – like his BMI went down. He, he lost some weight. Got He got healthier. But again, he got to experience something while designing for that thing. And I'm sure that that probably helped his design process even better and even more so it made – working at Omada Health, working at Fitbit, working at Operator, that much better because he's actively using a tool and it's a tool that he needs and it's making his life better. So that was that was definitely in, inspiring a bit to listen to somebody who is super jazzed about the work that they do because not only do they use it, but they believe in it and uh, they know and feel that it's going to be beneficial for other people. So that was really, that was really cool. Really, really cool talk. I'm still like, I'm still like podcast high on that conversation because we just finished and I'm now recording this. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's all I got as usual. If you guys could rate review and share the podcast, this episode, the whole season, the whole series, whatever, that's all be great. Um, if you've got any feedback, good, bad, neutral comments, things you like, things that could be better people that you want me to interview, uh, yourself or someone else. Hit me up on Twitter at the Start FM, um, and I guess without further ado, here's my conversation with Karim Suer. This is the Start. Thanks for joining me on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, how's it going? 
doing really well. I'm glad I, we had a bit of email tag. Yes, um, we did. I think we both got busy. Both of us got a little bit sick and stuff. Yes. Um, so I'm glad to have you on the show. I've actually, to give you some context as to why I asked you on the show, I think I've followed you on Twitter. And this has been a, a, a common thread this season, at least, that I've asked a lot of people that I followed on Twitter for a while. Um, I think when you were working at Fitbit, awesome. I think I did not use a Fitbit then, but okay. I was like, oh, they're pretty cool. I, you know, they have some pretty good designs. I don't think anyone look- really used Fitbits back then. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that wasn't like that was, a thing. Yeah, because correct me if I'm wrong. I don't. I, I don't know what years you worked there, but I feel like for a while in that whole like health tracker world, Nike Fuel Band just like ruled the world, right. and then that sort of fizzled out a little bit. Right, and then right, there was right. like this open space, and then I th- I think I so I have a Fitbit now actually, and I use it mainly because I'm really ch- I'm I'm trying to slim down and lose a little bit of weight and eat better, and it helps me track some of those things. Nice. Um, but I well, I had a Nike Fuel Band, and it was like arbitrary shit. Right. It's like, right, oh, right, you've right. got 5,000 points and you have no idea what a point means. Right. Um, but now I have a Fitbit and I love it. I think it's great. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. I think back then it was um, actually like when I was at Fitbit, Nike Fuel Band wasn't even a big thing. It was just oh, like really? on the okay. side. It was a really small, like no one actually in the market was um, tracking anything about your body or your activity. Okay. Um, and we introduced Fitbit and, you know, like, as usual in Silicon Valley, people kind of got interested in it. All the techie um, dudes, if you may, um, got interested yeah. in it. And then, um, you know, it kind of expanded. The The audience expanded the more press we got. And then we went into back order uh, for a long while before we could actually produce um, at the pace. Um, but yeah, like after maybe like a year after I joined, then, you know, activity tracking started to become a thing. People started to see things, but it, it still was, I think, arbitrary. Like it, even, even if you said I walked 7,000 steps, mm-hmm. no one knew what steps were, you know, like Fair, you, you, yeah. you never knew what, like how many thousand steps you should be walking. Like if I said 10,000 steps a day, you'd be like, Oh, that sounds a lot. It actually <laughs> it isn't. It does sound a lot. I think Fitbit automatically sets it up at 10,000. But right. um, if I just walk a lot, if I get off of the subway, I stop earlier and walk the rest of the way. I usually meet that 10,000. And I, and Perfect. it wasn't until I started doing that and I don't do it too often that I realized like, that's actually not a lot. Like all I do at work is I walk into the office, sit down, walk to the bathroom, walk back to my desk, walk, you know what I mean? Like it's all right. these short bursts. It's crazy how short it is. Right. So I think you actually fit into one of the Fitbit's personas pretty good. And so you're the one that is realizing how many steps you're walking and that is kind of motivating you to do more or less. Yeah, that, that along with the, um, the weight loss bit. So I, right now I'm about five, eight and I'm around one ninety. Um, okay. I'm not like for what it's worth, I wear like a 34 waist pair of jeans. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, I'm not like, I'm not like Danny DeVito short and fat and stuff. <laughs> um, but right. I just don't feel, you know, as comfortable as I'd like to. Right. Um, and that's, I started seeing a nutritionist because I wanted to make better choices about the food that I ate. Because I realized that, like, I was very easily going for a slice of pizza over, you know, grilled chicken with veggies and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so they helped me with the food choices. And they were like, let's now introduce exercising mm-hmm. into the routine and let's get a Fitbit, mainly because of the the heart uh, monitoring stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just helps me. So if I'm at the gym and I see that my heart rate is at, like, 120 beats per 
Skype's minute or whatever, right. maybe I, I might like try to keep it there or something like that. So right. it definitely helps me. It's, it's a good indicator of where I'm at and, and sort of just like keeping progress. Right. And you know, actually human body is a pretty, pretty complex thing, obviously, but um, at, at the same time, it's actually pretty simple. Like we only thing we need to do is exercise just a little bit during the day, which is like a normal thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then eat normal stuff. But I think our society and, and a little bit of the American culture too, the um, the food industry, you know, got a little effed up um, back in like the 60s and 50s. And then now it we're, we're finding it very difficult to find good food around us, right? Like it's, it's an yes. extra challenge for me to go get something good for my body. Where in like the 95% of the, the grocery store is, is selling processed shit. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it so like like I had mentioned before, I'm in New York, and uh, there's a lot of groceries that have hot bars, and you can get like a good salad, but it's covered right. in like olive oil, right. and like a teaspoon of olive oil is like 150 calories, right. and that adds up when you sit at a desk all day long. Um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely interesting. It's been eye opening. I'm sort of at a plateau. I at one point I was like 200 pounds, lost 10 pounds, and now I've been sitting around this 190 mark. Okay, um, so I'm like definitely like i've got a an old uh just like a individual size like faya yogurt cup that okay. i now i i've got a, a larger container faya yogurt because it's cheaper to buy it in bulk but okay. i drop it in there because then i know like okay this this holds x amount of ounces which equals x amount of calories right. plus a cup of fresh fruit etc 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 so i'm just not like by no means am I trying to calorie count because I definitely mm-hmm. pig out on some stuff, but I'm just trying to be more aware of how much of what I'm putting in my body. And it's, right. it's been interesting. And there's a misperception too. Um, and I like that we started off as like a, a nutritional podcast. Um, yeah, right. Um, but I think there's also a misconception of um, calorie count as well. Like there are really successful systems out there um, that are forcing you to count calories and, and you're getting outcomes from it. Um, mm-hmm. But the reality is there are good calories and bad calories. So um, if you yes. eat, I don't know, McDonald's fries, which are awesome um, all, <laughs> all day, you know, you might um, fit in your um, calorie count, but it might not be really great for your body. Um, yeah. You know, I, um, I was talking to my nutritionist and we've settled at around like five to five, 500 to 550 calories per meal. Right. And, and okay. you're talking about a tr- American traditional three three meal uh-huh. day. That's pretty cool. And he made an interesting point. He's like, you know, technically at 550 calories, he's like, you could go to McDonald's and get food. He's like, you're going to get a small fry, uh, a McDonald's like single patty burger mm-hmm. and one little packet of ketchup. He's like, and that's it. And that's when he started educating me on good calories in terms of like quantity, right? right. Filling and that kind of stuff. And then bad calories in terms of quantity and fillingness and stuff. The crazy thing is you can basically eat a whole half of a cantaloupe, Yes. With like a cup of yogurt, and that's barely 400 calories. Yes, and it tastes awesome. It does. All right, I'm sure we'll talk more about nutrition throughout this. But Karim, <laughs> if uh, can you give yourself a, a better introduction than I'd give you? Sure. Um, let's see. Let me try. So my name is Karim. Uh, I was born in Istanbul, a little town called Istanbul, um, and I am a multidisciplinary designer. Um, and we can talk about that later. What that means. Yeah. Um, and right now, I um, on a high level, I help companies design proper and sort of next generation software to um, to do better things for humans. And currently, on a very high level, I'm uh, designing some really cool tools for a small startup called Operator in San Francisco. 
I've heard of operator. I think I try to get an account. I don't really, I'm also one of those people that like, if something new comes out, I'll see if my username's available. <laughs> if it's available, I'll grab it just to be safe. Um, but I've heard of operator. So, um, trying to think of how far we want to go back. So at what point, well, rather, when did you move over to the States? Uh, that was back in 2000. Um, so I, okay. I came to States as an exchange student. Um, okay. And um, I was in Oklahoma for my first year. So oh, I, wow. I, I finished high school there in a, in a beautiful town called Sulphur, Oklahoma. Wait, wait so you did, you did an exchange program in right. high school. So that means that someone from Oklahoma or someone from somewhere went over to Istanbul. Right. Okay. And, so you guys um, traded places. Exactly. So, um, uh, so like a student, an American student, basically stayed with my family um, oh, for a year. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So that was that was pretty fun. Um, it was fun for for my parents, and it was pretty fun for me as well. Um, because you know, coming from a, a pretty big metropolitan city where you have never interacted with animals or I don't know, uh, country style like living. Um, mm-hmm. You know, going to Oklahoma, Sulphur, Oklahoma was a pretty eye opening concept for me. Oh, I bet. Um, it's a bit of culture shock too. Exactly. And, and the culture that I was exposed to from like movies and TV shows um, in Turkey was, you know, you see, I don't know, like Baywatch, like blonde <laughs> woman, you know, <laughs> yeah, running yeah, yeah. slow-mo <laughs> and stuff <laughs> like that, or like skyscrapers or, or Las Vegas or Hollywood, uh, all that stuff. And then yeah. when I landed in Oklahoma City Airport, it was it was pretty interesting. Um I would say it was a it was definitely a culture shock at first, um, but I think I, I adapted pretty fast, and and that's one of the the goals of the exchange program is you adapt as fast as possible, and then you start exchanging your culture with people who's never experienced it. Yeah, that's really cool. How um, did that family or did the high school you went to, went to uh, have other exchange students as well, whether with you or like before you? Yeah, so the town was really small. It was about two thousand people. And there wow. were a total of um, three exchange students. Oh, and that's good. Yeah, so it was, I mean, we basically, we were pretty much the center of attention. Um, the other <laughs> two exchange students were um, all like European, like very okay. European, very Western European. And I was the only one that is a little more like, I guess, like browner than others. Um, <laughs> and um, so that was a little interesting. Back then, I, obviously, I was super naive. So I, I never observed how people looked at me. I always thought like, everyone would look at each other the same. Yeah. Um, oh, but that, that, uh, ignorance is bliss in that scenario. And that's probably a good thing. Right. Um, and then I had really good time. I played every, you know, every single sport in, in town. Um, and um, I don't know. I, I had a lot of friends and my host families, we called them host families, but I, you know, right. I called them mom and dad. <laughs> it was, it was pretty legit. It was great. So the weird question is, do you still keep in touch with anyone from that town? For sure, yeah. I am. Oh, really? um, I mean, keeping in touch in 21st century, I'm Facebook friends with all of them. I guess um, that's fair. Yeah. Um, but I used to back like I don't know, um, pretty recent actually, maybe like a year ago or so. I used to still call my um, host families and and talk to them every now and then. Oh wow, that's amazing. Yeah. I, so like you know, I I almost did. I almost studied in Italy, which nice. coming from the U.S. over to Italy. Um, I don't know that, especially in college, I don't know that you need to do like an exchange program. I'm pretty sure like most universities just take a a slew of American students, stuff them in a dorm and whatever. (laughs) Um, But I almost did that. Instead, I went to NYU because I was going to school in Florida. Then I went to NYU. So it was like a a study abroad, but not abroad kind of thing. I was going to say that is pretty culture shock too from from Florida to New York. Yes and no. Um, 
it, it so it was culture shock in terms of like I was definitely exhausted my first week in New York because it's a it's a totally different pace. Uh, but in terms of people, the town that I grew up in was pretty eclectic. Um, like uh, a bunch of people from the Caribbean, whether Hispanic or anything else, um, and like South America as well. And that's like the town and the high school I went to. And then when I went to school in Tampa, the university had about 45,000 students. So there was still a good nice. mix of people there. Nice. Um, so, you know, being around various walks of life, uh, I was used to, to some degree. I'm sure there was a bit of culture. Sh- when I walked down Canal Street, there was culture shock. Okay. Definitely. Okay. Uh, Cause the same guy that's offering you like a, a fake Movado watch offered to sell me cocaine or something. Right. I, was like, I was like, what? <laughs> what? Um, but in terms of people, I was, it was okay. I was definitely exhausted though. Yeah. Um, but so in, in Sulphur, Oklahoma, were you exposed to design then? Or did that come later on? I actually wasn't. Or um, before. I mean, okay. So I'll give you an example and you tell me if it's like really being exposed to design. So back then there was a, sure. a website called Homestead. Um, okay. and you would, you would go on that and you would like basically pick a website theme and then you would just customize the shit out of it. So in a way it's kind of like word, WordPress. Um, yep. but that's what I was doing for like, um, I don't know, like the pharmacy of my host family or like little website that I would create for myself as like a personal website so that, um, people from, from the town or like other exchange programs can actually look at it and get to know me. Um, but that was more like, I think that's all what we did, like as kids, at least like my generation, the early eighties, um, is just like a tutorial generation. You just, you just go online and see how it's done and you just do it because there is no proper education for it back then. Yeah. Um, And I think you were, uh, whether you knew it or not, you were exposed to it and you probably were able to discern that, oh, this theme fits my host family's pharmacy website. Right, right, exactly. This looks ugly. So I think to some, also for what it's worth, um, I'm of the mindset that design is very subjective because a lot of people have eyes and a lot of people have, have good taste. Right. Um, so I think, I think that counts as a little bit of design. Right. I think it's okay, cool. I'll take it. So it was, it was pretty early on in my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when did you, when did you realize that you're like, wait, I, I like this design stuff. I want to, I want to do it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it happened until I was like a second year in college. So I, um, so, okay, let's just transition to college then. Um, so I finished sure. high school in Oklahoma and then, um, mm-hmm. I went to, I started applying to colleges in, in the States. Um, and I, I got into Missouri state, Northwest Missouri state. Um, and then I applied as a, wait, what school was it? I'm sorry. Uh, Northwest Missouri state. So it's a pretty small college in, in Missouri. Yep. Um, and I guess like partially the reason I went there is because I think my parents kind of looked at like crime rate in bigger cities. And, and since we're <laughs> from Istanbul, like all they can think of is like, oh, my son is going to study abroad. At least uh, like he can study in a, in a safe place. So, um, so Maryville, Missouri, um, where I went to school, the crime rate is like literally negative 5%. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Super safe town. Yeah. So, um, so I guess that was like one of the criterias. Um, so I went to school there. I started as computer science major. Um, and okay. after a semester, I said, this is not for me. Um, I just didn't mm-hmm. want to stare at, you know, semicolons. Like if I'm missing a, a little comma that like the entire program is not going to work. Yeah. Um, well, what, what, what made you pick uh, computer science to begin with? I think back then I naively thought, computer science, like I liked computers and I definitely knew I wanted to do something with computers. 
Um, okay. I thought computer science was going to be it. Um, I don't know. It's, it's also like, I think like, um, your advisors and stuff, they, they start asking you when you first start joining school, they know nothing about you. And I say, yeah, yep. like I'm pretty good at computers. I want to do something. And they're, they automatically shift you towards uh, steer you towards yeah. computer science. And what year was this? Uh, this is back in 2001. Okay. So see, I always find that interesting. So I'm 27. Mm-hmm. I was born in the late eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I was still growing up and, and to some degree I was comfortable with computers uh, but I didn't know that there was an industry around it. And I'm only thinking about when you were in college, you had gone through, you know, computers were incredibly foreign. And now there's this somewhat slightly foreign industry that people are telling you to go into, or that might right. be a good fit for you. Right. In a way. Yeah. And also, you know, keep in mind, like Missouri wasn't like the school that I went to wasn't really a, a computer science or um, like design kind of school. It was more like mm-hmm. agriculture was one of the the biggest majors um and then economy yep. and uh, i don't know like finance and stuff like the, the typical classic like big majors um and then when you say um okay so i'm going to study design or i'm going to study computer science we had like a really small department um we were totally the minorities in school like people would look oh, wow. at you as like oh yeah these are like the nerds um, <laughs> um <laughs> yeah the av club nerds exactly yeah that's crazy um so then you switched yeah. So then I, I basically went back to my advisor and I said, um, you know, I, I just like cannot motivate myself. I don't think this is for me. Um, and then he basically talked about this new major that, that they're planning to pilot. Um, and that was called interactive digital media, um, which had three concentrations. One of them was computer science and then new media and then, uh, visual imaging. So I picked visual imaging, um, just because I thought, um, I don't know. I, I actually, I'm not really sure what I thought um, at that point. It was it was more of like an experiment of the concentrations didn't matter too much. Um, you would still take some of the general education classes for for that um, program, um, and then later on, maybe like in your senior year, you start really concentrating and like having one big project for that concentration. So first, like my second year of college, I basically picked visual imaging and my advisor said, you know, let's try this out. There's not going to be a lot of students, but I'm going to be teaching this class. And I really liked him. He was, he was a great guy. Um, and so that had started like that. And I can give you a little insight of like what visual imaging or interactive, interactive digital media is. Um, it's basically a, a pretty wide range of um, design tools that they teach you. So they, they start from um, very, you know, uh, traditional graphic design. So you start with print and graphic design and, and then you start steering towards, um, uh, digital imaging, which is, you know, you go on Photoshop, you're going InDesign or back then we went on like Quark. Um, so yeah, then, um, basically I, I picked visual imaging out of that. Um, and then you basically, we studied like 3d, 2d, um, web design. We didn't have mobile design back then. Um, but yeah, so we were like learning, um, what was that tool? Dream we were. Um, and then, uh, oh, yeah, yeah we that. were like, we were doing light wave for 3d. And then, um, I also took some classes for like, I had like a little radio show, um, <laughs> in school. Um, oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was just like a mix of so many things. And then, uh, what I think what that allowed me to do is, um, to pick really what I wanted to do when I graduated from college. Yeah, you know, it's pretty interesting because I feel like uh, I've, I've, I've interviewed a few other people who were in school. It sounds like around the time that you were. And it sounds like at that point, 
everything was sort of an experiment uh, and it was also like a, a variety pack, right? Nobody necessarily knew what design would become right in a, in a digital medium. So they were like, well, let's, let's have these kind of classes, these kind of classes. You'll learn a little bit about programming, right? Maybe you right. learned a little bit about flash. I don't know. Right. Uh, which to call it programming, I think is a stretch, but, and then it sounds like you guys got into like some HTML, CSS stuff with Dreamweaver. I'm exactly. again, making an assumption. Yep, yep. Um, and it was like, you know, these are the various components to get a design from your Photoshop file onto the internet. But all each of them, at, at least now, are seen as separate disciplines. Exactly. And, and you know, like when I thought about it, I, I never thought that the, the concept of like, I'm going to, I'm going to design something in a, in a total static software and Photoshop. And then I'm going to, I'm going to send that off to some person who's going to make that into a, an interactive piece was never a concept for me. It was always, you design it and then you develop it because if you don't develop it, then it's, it's unfinished work. Um, and I can't show yeah. that in my class. So, um, some, some part of like learning about HTML, CSS and, and JavaScript came from the frustration of not being able to build, um, what I designed. Mm -hmm. So, so it was kind of a natural shift for me. You know, that, that, that's the entire reason why I picked, uh, front end development as a career path. When I say picked, um, I I used to work, the the listeners have heard this, have heard this story plenty of times, but I used to work in advertising. Um, and around that time I was starting to get frustrated working in uh, the position I was in, in advertising. Um, and I, started fiddling around with some front end design as front end design stuff, essentially. Right. Cause I was like designing splash pages and then building them. Right. And it, it, my brother is a designer in LA. Um, and he's done a bunch of product stuff. Nice. And he's six years. He's three now, I think. I don't know. He's like six years older than I am. Um, so I've always had the insight of an older brother who is far enough ahead of me that he can sort of, you know, forewarn me of any traps, so to speak. And he was like, dude, definitely get into programming. He's like, I can design stuff. You can build it. We'll be like this fantastic duo. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. Uh, because I was interested in both of these things. But then it got to a point where I, same, same thought you had where design by itself is incomplete. You still need to build it, or at least for the digital medium. Um, that's when I was like, well, if I were a designer I would, and I didn't know how to program, I would still always need a programmer to help me bring this thing to life. Right. And in my mind, I was like, well, why don't I just be the programmer then? Because it sounds like that's the de facto part of that equation. Now, though, you've got a bunch of people who are fantastic designers that are also fantastic programmers. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't need anybody else. You can just sort of do it all yourself. Right. I think I still believe in, you know, specializing in, in a field yourself. Um, like, I don't mm-hmm. I don't think it's a prescription prescription for everyone that to say, like, hey, yeah, design something and then build it yourself. Um so, but at the same time, I think it's a, it's a pretty good habit to be able to, to prototype while you're designing and, and, or at least like be in touch with the, the platforms that you're designing for, right? Like know the restrictions, know what's cutting edge, know what you can do, how you can push the limits, um, yeah. know your audience. I think there's like a, there are many things that contribute to good design. And I think That's fair. You know, one of them is just like being, being in touch with your, the technology. That's fair. So is it safe to say that you are going to write a, a blog post and post it on Medium about why designers should code? Yes, I am working on it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's, um, I, I, it's funny. So I write some posts and then um, they just are in my drafts for a long, long time. And I, I don't oh, post them on purpose. i for months. 
Oh man. So then I read them and I'm like, Oh my God, I sound such a, I sound like a douchebag in that. Um, <laughs> I think like one of the major things for, um, for myself at least is like when I, as I go through my career, I, I, I see patterns and I observe people and I observe my, my industry. And then I, I try not to be so preachy, I guess, but a lot of the mm-hmm. things that I say come off a little bit like that. So I'm kind of like working on like how I can tone down the preaching voice and how I can just, just like communicate my observations. Cause a lot of it is really observations. Like I, I, I am 32 years old. Um, I don't know. I've been designing for 10 years professionally. I think this might sound like a lot of years for a lot of people, but you know, at the same time, I don't know shit. Like I, I, I need to still learn a lot of things from a lot of people. Um, so that's, I mean, I think that's fair. It, you know, it's interesting. And I'm, I'm younger than you one, two, I haven't been doing this. I haven't been a professional programmer for as long as you've been a professional designer, but for, I guess I have a few tidbits on that one. I think it's totally fair that you are, um, you know, speaking about the observations you're making, because I think, in my opinion, the industry, the industry that we're currently in now, people max out at around 10 to 15 years, right? Because 15 years ago, it wasn't what it is now. So it's always been this like ever evolving thing. 15 years ago, you would have, if you were, if you were 25 working in the industry 15 years ago, you probably would have been a graphic designer, like a print graphic designer, right? Uh, which is substantially different than working in a digital medium for various applications, which are actually product-based companies, right? That, mm-hmm. that, 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 that kind of evolution didn't happen then. So I think, I think you do have experience, especially stuff to talk about. The other part of it though, where you mentioned like sounding like a douchebag, I would be interested to study this, not not that I will, but to see if you actually sound like a douchebag or the state of the internet and the way people respond uh, right. makes it feel like you sound like a douchebag. Because I think what ends up happening a lot now is you might be like, hey, don't touch the stove. It's hot. And someone will be like, don't tell me what to do. Right, exactly. And you're like, uh, okay, fine. And then they touch it like, oh, I burned my hand. It was really hot. Right. And you're like, yeah, dude, I told you. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I believe in just like sharing stuff, right? Like I, I, that's that's how we grow. That's how I learned a lot of things that I learned. Like I didn't learn mm-hmm. much in school. Um, I mean, I learned a lot in school, but I didn't learn much of what I'm doing right now in school. Um, I learned this stuff by doing and making mistakes. And I think it's a it's a good practice to share these things. So So people, not only to stop people make mistakes, but you know, maybe inform them when they make mistakes, it's okay. You know, making mistakes are cool. That's, that's how you're going to learn. And that's in a, in a way, that's how you're going to fast forward your learning experience. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so you were in this pilot program, pilot major at (laughs) your university. Um, I'm under the impression that you finished it. I did. Yes. Um, Okay. So I finished it. It took a little while because I, I got interested in other stuff as well. Um, so like on the way I got interested in photography a lot. Um, I mean, I was already interested in it, but I started, you know, seeing classes now popping up every now and then I'm like, okay, cool. I might take some classes. So I yeah. started taking like photography classes, um, started taking some new media classes, some like weird stuff like media law and stuff. Um, that I don't know, like I kind of got interested at some point. So, so college took me like a little longer than expected. Um, so I finished like in five and a half years or so. Um, that's and not then, terrible. That's probably average now I'd imagine. Oh really? Okay, cool. I feel good. Um, my dad <laughs> didn't think so. It was like, are you going to finish at all? Anytime yeah, soon? I've got a, I've got a handful of friends that are still in school and I graduated <laughs> in 2011. So, oh, man. um, I mean, I think for what it's worth, they're either like 
in a program that is undergrad plus graduate, so okay. masters, right. or they have a bunch of degrees at this point. Right. I mean, I, I don't know. Like I, my dad finished college in like seven years or so. So like he's, he's no, he's not the person to tell me to finish yeah. college early, but, um, <laughs> but at the same time, it's, um, you know, I don't know. It was, it was kind of cool. I thought it was, uh, I was learning a lot. I was, um, exploring a lot. I was, you know, making friends and, and it was really a good experience, I think. So what was, uh, how'd you, how'd you transition your knowledge and degree into money? Money. Um, so I, then I was planning to go back to Europe. Um, yeah. So so the thing is I really liked Midwest. Um, I liked Oklahoma a lot. I liked Missouri a lot. Um, but it wasn't what I really wanted. Um, like I'm a sailor from, I started sailing when I was eight, um, in, in a really, Oh wow. That's really cool. Yeah. So I, I, I did sailing, uh, very competitively for a long time, maybe like from age eight to age 16. So like for eight years, um, and in my like last four years, I, I was in the national team of, of oh, sailing. So Turkey. that's like races and stuff, right? Yeah, totally. Um, okay. and this is, I'm talking about like dinghy, like, which means like a, a single person boat. Um, but yeah, so I, I raced in those and, and really, you know, higher competitions like world championships, European championships. I was in Olympic trials for Turkey. Um, and then, Holy cow, man. yeah. So then I went to, uh, I went to my exchange program. So it kind of like cut off my sailing career. Um, in the middle. Oh, okay. And I kind of like sailed in Oklahoma too, or not in Oklahoma, but in Texas and like Texoma and stuff. Um, but then I was like, uh, you know, like I still want to go back to sailing. I don't want to like stay in Midwest. Uh, it feels so landlocked. So sailing, sailing for you, it sounds like was to some degree like the, the, the goal. Like, did you want to do this competitively? I think that's kind of all I, I knew. Professionally, I guess. Yeah. So I think that's all I knew. And by the way, like sailing professionally wasn't really a thing in Turkey back then. Okay. And now it's starting to become a thing because professionally means you need to get sponsors, right? Like no one is going to really give gotcha. you okay. money for sailing uh, because you're not making money. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. sponsors would need some sort of exposure. And now they're realizing, you know, when you go to a world championship and when you put the brand on your sale or something, um, mm-hmm. then it's being exposed to close to like 40 different countries and, and thousands and thousands of people. Um, so yeah. now they're starting to realize the, the value. Um, back then it wasn't a thing. So what I was thinking was, you know, I studied design. Um, maybe I can apply that to sailing of some sort. And my, okay. um, my like international, the, the national team coach was, um, also in a sale company who actually like makes sales. Um, oh, wow. okay. and, and she was in, in Milano, Italy. And she said, Hey, you know, if you want to come over anytime and like help, help us out with graphics on sales and stuff, um, you, you know, more than welcome. So that's, that was my plan. Um, it sounded really cool after like Missouri, but, um, yeah, but, but then my uncle called me, which who lives in, um, East Bay, California and in, in the Bay area. Okay. And he's like, Oh, it sounds like what you studied kind of makes sense. Um, if you just like come over here and like kind of experiment with, um, if you like it or not. So, and it was free lodging. Um, they invited me over. I just stayed there for like two years. Um, I found a job within like a month. Um, and that job f- also was in the advertising <laughs> for me. Um, oh, yeah. Good yeah, old advertising. Yeah. So I was in a, in a really small adver- ad- advertising agency that focused on, on medical devices. So it was, it was pretty interesting. Um, my first job, it was like uh, three months long. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. It was so fast paced. And I, I, 
I don't know if this is politically correct, but I, I felt like a slave. Um, I just like work oh, that's fine. days I mean, and that, nights. Um, for what it's worth, that's, that's also why I left um, the advertising agency because it was, uh, it was really hard for someone at the level I was at. And it sounds like the level you were at, cause you were just out of college to have a really good control over the end output of the pro- uh, product project, right. whatever. Um, and oftentimes it's, uh, account people selling something that right. the agency can or cannot do, exactly. but it's irrelevant, uh, to whether or not you can or cannot do it. And it's usually in a, in a unrealistic timeline. So right. everyone else has to crank out long hours exactly. to get this thing done that then the, the client doesn't use for three months. Yep, exactly. So it's and like a false sense of urgency. It's terrible. Yeah. And then like when, when the agency is really small, you also start seeing like the numbers and the money that you're making. And you see like, um, the agency is charging $500 an hour and they're giving you $25 yeah. an hour. And I'm like, well, oh, yeah, something is not right on this because I'm pretty sure I produced the entire thing myself. Um, yes and no. I mean, I, I, I do agree with that. I think, um, I think it's okay for that to happen because the agency is also taking on most of the risk. Right. right? So, so like there is, uh, some distribution that needs to be done unevenly in that regard. Right. Like, so the agency is taking on a full salary that they, they sure. might be holding business insurance in case something bad happens, depending on the client. So there right. are some things, but for what it's worth, if agencies are charging a, like really outrageous hourly rates for your work and you're not being compensated for that, then yeah, right. that's where it gets really iffy. Right. And like you actually, you don't, you don't get a say when you're like, if it's your first job and you're like an intern or like a graphic production artist or something, you just don't get a say, which is fine. Um, then I, you know, like I left that job. Um, and then I found another job, which was in the gaming industry. Um, I was basically, my first title was a graphic production artist. So I was making buy now and play now buttons for a year or so. And then, um, Wait, just buy now and play now buttons. Literally, I'm not joking. Um, like you I was just like producing buttons, buttons. Um, I might say they were really good buttons though. Like all the hover <laughs> states and like the focus states. It was pretty cool. I enjoyed it. Um, and then I upgraded. Um, and then I started making landing pages, um, which was like a phenomenal, like a, a big thing for me. Um, I'm like, wow, I'm making a website for a company and I'm, and they're paying me. So that was like technically what I was doing back in high school, but this time they're actually paying me a good amount of money. Um, so I did that for a while. And then, um, then it just, you know, we had like a pretty small design team. Um, so it just became like, we started making, um, contributions to the games and, um, I don't know, landing pages and, and major like redesigns and stuff. And then I started getting really into, um, you know, reading about user experience and, and more than just like visual design and graphic production. Um, and then I basically left after four years working at that company. I just didn't like what I was doing. I thought I could do something better. I didn't play the games even like, um, that the company produced. Um, they were like really for like old, old mothers, um, like solitaire, I don't know, like Mahjong Quest and shit. Um, I know exactly what kind of games you're talking about. <laughs> so, um, so then I left. I, I said, fuck this. I am out. Um, it was sort of like a, not like a rage outing, but like our mm-hmm. management changed and like they were treating me pretty badly. And I'm like, okay, sure. I'm, I'm done with it. Um, and then my next job was um, at this really, really, really small startup called Fitbit. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it was like literally my second, my, I, my, my third professional job. Sure. How, how did you, how did you find these jobs? 
And um, I and I ask that because it sounds like you went to San Francisco, San Francisco area on a whim, mm-hmm. right? and then you had to at some point gain your bearings and like make money. So how'd you go about like finding jobs in early 2000? Right. Um, yeah. So first job I was basically, um, so my, so I was living with my uncle and aunt and my aunt is like, she's like a PhD microbiologist, like a super smart scholar, scholar, uh, person. Um, and she didn't know anything about design industry. So she said, well, I will force you to send 50 resumes a week. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Literally, that's what she did. And I sent out 50 resumes, 50 cover letters to 50 different companies a week. Um, so cow. as you can imagine, I got a lot of interviews. Um, and yeah. within the second week, I actually found that gaming company job. Um, okay. And they basically said, hey, cool, you know, you can work with us. And and back then I, was, I wasn't an American citizen. So you have to be on a visa. You know, they need to sponsor you and stuff. Oh, um, yeah. That can get very tricky too, especially yeah. if you don't like the work. And your visa is tied to that company. Yes. So now you know why I stayed there for four years. Um, okay. Because that I makes was, sense. I was like, I, I had invisible um, handcuffs on me. Um, yeah. I've, I've actually, I've heard of, heard some stories of people who are, that, that they've got a life in the U.S. that they do not want to leave. And they're sort of stuck at a job because other companies don't want to fork over the cash right. to uh, pay for a visa for them to work. Right, right. Yeah, pretty bad situation. I mean, mine wasn't like super dramatic or anything. Like I I didn't like hate my life for four years. I actually quite enjoyed the people I worked with. Um, So it was pretty great. Plus, like they they didn't even know I was a foreigner first, I think. Um, (laughs) Because like basically I worked there for like eight months. And and by the time the time came that I like they needed to sponsor me for me to stay. I'm like, hey, dude, like, do you want to do you guys like want to sponsor me? And they're like, sponsor for what? What are you talking about? I'm like, well, I'm actually a foreigner, so you need like I need a visa f- to stay here. And they're like, okay, the cool, sl- whatever. The slight accent didn't th- didn't like give him any hints. I don't know. I mean, there's a ton of tons of Americans with accents, but yours is probably not anything like ones that they may have heard, especially in San Francisco. Exactly. Um, I don't know. I don't think so. I guess. Um, <laughs> and then they're like, okay, cool, yeah, sure, we'll sponsor you. Um, and the chances of like getting the visa was thirty three percent. So only thirty two percent of really everyone replied. Yeah, so I I lucked out. That was like one of the breaking points in my in my life and career, I guess. Um, so they sponsored Crazy. me. I got my visa. I worked there for um, four years, and then I left. Um, and then the second job, Fitbit. The way I got it was I basically applied to I think three companies. Um, okay. I don't really remember the the other two, um, but Fitbit was the smallest one. There were eight people there. Um, they, oh, wow. they had an art director, uh, who was hiring me, Mark Bolt. Um, and he literally took a pretty big chance on me. Um, like, I don't know what else to say. Maybe he saw some sort of, um, potential in me. I'm pretty sure he, mm-hmm. he did. Um, and then he took this chance. Um, cause I, I literally didn't have much in my portfolio. It was like all, I don't know, like a bunch of buttons, bunch of buttons <laughs> and like gaming landing pages <laughs> and shit. And like for what Fitbit was doing, it, it was pretty unrelevant so um so yeah he hired me and then we uh hired another designer who was a mm-hmm. traditional book designer which was really cool so we were like she oh, was that's, very that's traditional an take yeah yeah and so she was very traditional i was a little more into uh, interface design so we kind of okay. split up the projects and we did like uh we did marketing and branding and everything in-house um we would design our packaging in-house so it was a pretty great team one of the, one of the best teams i worked with um and then the team grew. Were you? Oh, I'm sorry. I, let me interject with a quick question. Sure. 
how, how come you were interested in interface design? And I asked that because it sounds like at the, at the previous place you were, like you said, you were doing production work and I would I don't know if you were getting interface design as production work. Yeah. So I think I was doing production work that kind of turned into, to interface stuff. Um, like generally gotcha. the okay. stuff that I was following was, um, I don't know, like blogs that talked about UI design, the UX design and how like best practices are web design. Um, gotcha. so I kind of got interested in that and, and I guess in a way, like the way that we did our branding projects and stuff in that gaming company, um, mm-hmm. everything seemed super subjective and I, I just hated the subjectivity. Um, sure. so let's say like if I design a button, um, people cared about, oh, that orange doesn't look great. What about this orange? Like, I just hated that idea. Like I, yeah. I liked more yeah. of like, how can we personal preference essentially? Yeah. Right. Like I was more interested in like, how can we properly build this website with the best practices possible. Um, yep. Like I was interested in if it's right or wrong, not like 25 rights. Um, uh, yeah. Well, and, and in, in that, in the subjective battles, what ends up person is the, uh, what, what, what ends up happening is that the person with the highest salary has <laughs> the end say, which they're also usually the person who is farthest removed from the project. Yes, that is very correct. Um, that happened to me for four years. So I know <laughs> exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> um, so then I started at Fitbit. Um, so I was a little more technical than our other designer, but then we just started shifting projects. So I would help with the packaging and she would help me with interface design. Um, and our art director would help us and, and steer us in the right direction. It was, it was just great. I, I learned an insane amount of stuff. Um, so then dribble happened to me. Um, so what does that mean? So what that means is uh, my art director invited me to dribble this, this basically website that designers possibly like post the stuff that they're working on currently, like process and stuff. It was a weird concept. Um, and then I started posting stuff I was working at Fitbit and, you know, that's probably like the beginning of our conversation when like people really didn't know what Fitbit was or what activity tracking is. Um, gotcha. so for a lot of people, it was just like a bunch of charts and graphs and, and just like design porn in a way. Um, yeah. and then I started posting really, you know, my sketches and like the thought process and the stuff that I'm learning at Fitbit and, and people started really, really, really liking it. Um, I mean, from what I can tell, like they clicked that like button and, um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. and then, um, I guess like the company was taking off regardless. Um, I think we were getting like the, uh, the, the mark product market fit was pretty great, I think. Um, so company was doing great. I'm posting stuff, um, on dribble and people started like kind of realizing, Oh, or like maybe associating me with the, with the product and the brand. And people are like, Oh, maybe this is the Fitbit designer. This is the dude who's designing this, like the, this next thing. Um, yeah, you became the face of it in the design community. Yeah, which is like totally not true because we had like a VP of interaction, like people like who have insane, who has insane amount of um, experience on this field. Um, we have like data scientists in the team. We have like people with two PhDs and like people Holy who cow. are actually making stuff happen. I'm just yeah, like drawing yeah, the yeah. picture here. Um, but anyway, so designers kind of associated me with Fitbit and I started getting lots of likes and followers and all that stuff. Um, I remember waking up one day and I literally had like 980 emails or something from Dribble, um, Holy saying cow. like, Oh, this person followed you. This person liked it. This person followed you. Um, 
and it was it was kind of interesting and um and then after a year uh you know i started getting so those emails the the system emails turned into customer emails saying hey you want to design for us you want to you want to do this project for us you, you want to freelance for us um and then i'm like wow this this is like unreal so i i took one job on the side when i was full-time at fitbit um mm-hmm. and they're like hey we want you to design our our iphone app and and the, the company was actually i've never heard of the company before but apparently it's a yeah. really big company called one king's lane um Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My girlfriend loves them. Yeah. So, um, and then I'm like, okay, cool. That sounds good. So I was designing their iPhone app on the side, um, and they just loved it, and I loved working with them. And at that point, I'm like, starting realizing in my brain, like that that light bulb is starting to to um, turn on. I'm like, oh shit, mm-hmm. I can actually make my living like this. Like I can, like I don't have to go to the office at all times. Um, yeah, someone else doesn't have to be responsible for your salary or how much right. money you make. And and also I don't know, like I, I did some weird math um saying like, oh shit, I can make like twice as much. Um so I left my job at Fitbit um after a year. Um and I, you know, I told my boss I, I loved what I did with them and all that stuff. So it was like a good breakup. Um and then I started freelancing for and that was about for two years um that I freelanced. I freelanced with really small teams of two sometimes i freelance for really big clients like pinterest and dropbox and oh wow uh, like my fitness pal i don't know um there are more um um and then like i don't know mailbox <laughs> um omada health um and then it just started I, I guess like my freelance career started taking off um and and the more stuff i posted the more people liked it the more the, the graph kind of started going up and up and I just like, it was great. It was a rocket ship. That's incredible. Now at that point, did your, the math that you did in the beginning, was that accurate? And I, I'm not so much worried about the, the actual number, but were you more monetarily successful going out doing freelance? hundred percent. Yeah. I actually awesome. definitely underestimated how much money I could make freelancing. Um, that was partially because I, I was being reasonable for myself at first, like thinking, okay, I'll probably take like one or two projects at a time. And then those projects are going to take two months or maybe three months. Um, Mm -hmm. But then it ended up being like my first six months, I I took like seven projects at the same time, which is is ridiculous. Yeah. How'd you manage that? Um, I managed that by getting sick physically. Um, Like literally I worked too much that I physically got sick um, oh my gosh! Not hospitalized sick, but I like sure. I got exhausted. Um, so I, I always give this example. So I have a chocolate lab, um, and in labs, I'm not sure if you guys know, they like eat forever if you feed them. Yeah, like, they just I had a golden know. retriever. They do the same thing. Exactly. So I was kind of like that. I was like I was like the golden retriever of designers, and like didn't know how much <laughs> how much design I can produce. Um, so yeah, so that was not great. Um, but you know, I lost my health for a little bit, but at the same time, then I made a lot of money. Um, yeah, you know, it's a, it's an, it's an interesting balance because had you have taken less projects, your, um, influence in design maybe wouldn't have increased as quickly as it did. Right. So. Which gives you a little bit more power in your own future and success and stuff. 
down the road. So it's like, it, it's a weird give and take, right? Because you don't want, you don't want to always be exhausted, right? You don't want to keep going at a hundred miles an hour, right. but going a hundred miles an hour for a short period of time, it's almost something, sometimes it's worth it. Sometimes it's not, I guess it's really up to the person. Yeah. I, I think as a rule of thumb, since we're like end up on a podcast and people are going to listen to this and some young designers might listen to it and, yeah. and do things, I will not recommend working 80 hours a week. Um, your life and work balance is very essential for your health. So you should do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the pace, your pace, you're going to be the only person to know what works and what doesn't work. Um, so I worked a lot and, um, and it broke my health and then I worked less and it was a little more balanced and, and I started producing actually a lot better work. Um, during this time, um, so we won't go into it too deeply, but you do have a family now. Did you have a family then? And was it impactful on them then as well? Yeah. So I, I didn't have a family. Um, I, it was more <laughs> like I had a girlfriend. Um, and okay. She was so understanding and, and everything. Sure. And, and we both had full-time jobs. So it was great. Um, but yeah, it's it definitely changes as you grow up and, and have an actual family. Then, you know, you start, I don't know. The work you know, becomes Yeah, less, priorities kind of change as well. Yeah. Um, and the, the work, I think, still stays important but then more important stuff happens and, and you kind of need to balance it and i think as i grow I up yeah. yeah i think like as i grow up what i observe and myself is you know i i think the the so i see it as a pie right like there's a there's a piece of the pie for family there's a piece of the pie for your career and your mm-hmm. mom and dad or your whatever your health all that stuff and it needs to be kind of a balance like pieces shouldn't be too big um and for a while when i was uh, when I just had a girlfriend, the the piece of the pie for work was really big. Um, yep. But now it's it's more like equal, and and I'm trying to balance my life, and it's actually nice, you know. Like you, I don't know. Like I think it gives you a perspective. Um, it's interesting that, that I like that analogy because it makes me think of, and I don't know if this is the point that you're getting at. Uh, so I apologize if I'm ripping it to shreds, but. <laughs> It makes me it makes me think of if you do have a pie right, and you need to give that pie to people, um, right. you need to satiate their appetites, right. and that might be at different levels. So hypothetically, when it's just you and your girlfriend, a smaller piece for her suits her appetite, which give, means that there's more for you to do. So hypothetically, right. there's more for you to give to work, right? right. But then as as more things happen, you become more senior in your job, uh, your family grows, your family in general, mom, right. dad, sisters, brothers, et cetera, gets, becomes more important. Right. Now you have to allocate for appetites and stuff. And it, 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 I don't know that if for listeners, I'm sorry if I fucking just blew your mind. Um, <laughs> but I, I think the, I think the pie thing is a really good analogy for it. Sweet. I'm yeah. like, I, I need, I need some pie right now. Actually, it was great. Some, yeah, like, well, like, like we said earlier, I'm, I'm in the process of, of, prepping a bunch of cookies to be baked tomorrow. Mm, that sounds so, so good. This will be, yeah, until everyone collapses from like a sugar rush. <laughs> I love our like, the conversation became like super like intense about careers and stuff, but it ended up around like <laughs> food pastries. again. Yeah, always, always. It's great, it's great. Um, so then you were doing freelance uh, and you said you were doing freelance for two years, right? Right, right. Um, what was, what, what made you decide to switch? It sounds like you went back to full-time. Like yeah, I an did. employer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I basically, a little bit of panic um, on myself. Um, so everything seemed too good to be true. Um, so I'm like working for really good clients. I'm like the, I don't know, like the bigger clients I work for, the, the bigger clients I get. 
Um, so everything is great. I'm getting paid in an amount that I like. Um, and then life is good. But then I started realizing, well, I don't think I'm growing as fast as, as I want to grow. Or like I'm not growing in, in principles um, in the certain principles that I want to grow your in. skills. Yeah, like my skill sets, okay. right? Like I wanted to learn more about product development. I wanted to uh, learn more about, like I felt like I was getting too focused in, in just like super like visual design or product design or um, or user experience design web and mobile. Like I, I thought I was just like limiting myself way too much. And I, like I, I totally believe in, um, there's this um, Iraqi architect. Um, uh, her name is Zaha Hadid. And, and I, wait, I, what is her name? Um, it's spelled, uh, I think, let me see. I think Z H Z A H A. And then last name is H A D I D if I'm not mistaken. Um, but she is this, yeah, actually, let me see. Yes, I was correct. Perfect. Um, yeah. So this Iraqi British architect, um, that I really followed her work and, and she's like, she builds these amazing, like Olympic platforms and, and buildings and, and amazing stuff. And, and she had one of, she had a saying in one of her interviews, she said, if there are 360 degrees, why stick to one? And it just kind of was like a, a, a mindfuck moment for me. And I, I panicked so much. Uh, and I'm like, Oh shit, I am just sticking to one angle. Um, why don't I just like learn more? And, and, and I can't do that when I'm freelancing because I'm constantly, it's, it's very delivery based. It's like a one night stand. You just like inject yourself into this company, deliver what they need, and then you just get out. So you never see like the, the end product. And you know, this might be different for other freelancers, but the projects that I was working on was very delivery based. Um, like my longest project was, um, I mean, it was like an ongoing project. There's a company called live lovely that I worked for like literally entire two years. Um, wow. but a lot of the companies were like three months, four months, five months. Yeah. Well, that's, I feel like that's pretty common for freelancers. Someone has a need, whether it's because they don't have design team in house right. or they're allocated elsewhere. Right. Right. Um, and so, you come in, you work on that project and then you get out. Yeah, exactly. And, and people love it. And, people are happy or people hate it and you're fired or whatever, but it's, it's still, you know, like it's kind of like a breakup or <laughs> it's, it works at the end. Um, and then, um, I panicked and I said, well, shit, I need to work within a team. Like I need to learn more. I need to be exposed to, to conversations, the hallway conversations or the meetings and then the boring stuff that I like a lot of people hate nowadays. Like well, I was also, it sounds like, it sounds like it's a bit of context too. Right. So, you know, it's not, it's not like, oh, design, I need you to design these screens. It's not like it, you actually then have a full understanding of everything that happened before getting to the point where someone needed to design those screens. Right. I, yeah, I mean, exactly. Totally. And, um, and I, yeah, so I wanted to, to work full time and, and there was this company called Omada Health that I already freelanced for them. Um, I was pretty involved with them when they were like literally like five guys in a shared workspace, um, like shoulder to shoulder, like hacking on stuff. Um, and this company was working on, um, diabetes prevention. So it, it oh, wow. has a place in my heart. I, I was pre-diabetic as well. My, my family also has type two, like most of my family has type two diabetes. So it, it just had a place what in is, my heart. Uh, is type two diabetes the one that people are born with? Or is that a different one? I know very little about diabetes. Yeah. So 
I'll tell you about prediabetes. Um, prediabetes okay. is something because it's it is more common, and I think this actually can change people's minds um, about what they eat and stuff. Um, so prediabetes, one of every three Americans are born with prediabetes, meaning oh uh, their BMI levels are way too high. Um, the the their diets are pretty bad. Um, you know the the stuff that they're exposed to are are not that great. So very likely um, you might be also prediabetic. Um, and what this leads a lot of people to is to diabetes type two. Um, and when okay. you're at type two, you cannot prevent it. You need to change your lifestyle for good forever. Um, but oh, when, wow. when you're okay. pre-diabetic, that's, that's when the sirens are on and you need to start changing your life. Otherwise you're going to have type two, which, you know, I don't think it is anything to be scared of. Um, it is just a life change you need to make and that's fine. Um, but yeah, so I was pre-diabetic. I was 220 pounds or so. Um, when I joined um, Omada Health full time, and then we we had this basically sixteen week program where you um, uh, where you log into a platform on the web or mobile um, where you weigh where you weigh yourself every day, and when you have a health coach for a group of people that you you, you can talk to directly, and um, and sixteen weeks you have like sixteen courses um, that you learn about like mindful eating, your nutritional values, and uh, your exercise levels and, and just bunch of stuff to change the habits that you have, because at the end it's, it's about your habits, right? Like you, yeah. you wake up in the morning and you drink a cup of coffee. Uh, that's a habit. Um, you don't have to, um, you like it and that's fine. But then you, you, on your wake to, on your way to work, um, you maybe grab like a croissant. Um, and that's a habit, you know, you can cut these things, but it's not really that easy to cut that right? Like you, yeah, you do it, sense. you like it. Um, so for you to change the style of living that you have, you need to work on it actively day-to-day basis. Um, so what this program does is to work on those, um, behavior change. Um, and then I was involved with this company for, um, for a long time. And then I, I said, well, and, and then their, their CEO co-founder kind of emailed me randomly out of the blue when I was panicking on my own freelancing he said, Hey dude, um, do you want to, you know, like we have an opening. Do you want to, do you want to join us? You know, we would love to have you on the team. I'm like, Hmm, interesting. Maybe this is the thing. Um, then I talked to the team and I met the team, like the bigger team. Um, and I joined the team and that was, that was fantastic. Um, so that was my first full time after freelancing. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, it's interesting too, because you were, it sounds like they provided you with a lot of value, right? Talking about like the health stuff. Totally. Um, before you were even a full-time employee. Exactly. Uh, I mean, truly, I think, I think Omada Health and Fitbit kind of like changed not only my, my design skills, but also like they taught me a lot of skills out of, outside of design and technology um, about just everything, about activity, about my body, about, um, about yeah, how I live my life. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they are both uh, companies that enhance through digital products uh, real life things. So by that I mean it's not like I guess some could argue that Instagram does this too. But you're not just like oh let's design stuff for photos online. It's like mm-hmm. no let's let's create a device that helps people be a little bit more aware of their health and their activity throughout the day, right? Fitbit and then yep. Omada Health. It sounds like it was helping on a maybe a little bit larger scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the same kind of world, which I think is that, that to me is like the perfect, the perfect marriage is, is taking a, something digital to 
taking something digital and enhancing whatever its complementary thing is offline. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, I was passionate about it. I think that was my biggest, that was the biggest wave I was writing um, was I was motivated every single day. Um, and I was very inspired by, um, I was very inspired by the things that was happening to my body. Um, you know, like I, I went through the, the prevent program, which is that 16 week program I was talking about. And I lost, um, 11%, um, body weight and holy cow. It's amazing. Yeah. So, and I prevented my prediabetes. Um, and now I'm a, I'm a healthy guy, but I still need to lose, um, maybe a little more, maybe like three, 4% yeah. more. Um, but yeah, like I, it, it definitely changed certain habits that I had. Um, and I, as I was going through the program, I was, I was designing the program with a, a group of really intelligent, um, people. And that, that, yeah, that way was pretty big for me. The motivation and inspiration was phenomenal. Yeah. That's amazing. It, I don't know. That's, I feel like it's, it, it, it'd be hard to get that kind of, um, return on your work from, from companies that don't provide something like that. Right. And I, that's also, it's a bit niche. Not every company is going to be developing a health product where you are also probably using it, uh, to make your own health better. Right. So that's, that's really cool that you had that opportunity. I think, Um, yeah, I think it's a good principle. Like it's a good rule of thumb to say, you know, you have a certain skills, you have certain skill sets and, and it is good for you to apply those skills to projects that mm-hmm. you're passionate about. And it doesn't have yeah. to be health. It doesn't have to be something good for people. Um, it can be just like, if you like gambling, just go design the fucking best casino in the world. Um, yeah, I don't know, like sense, or the right? slot machine. You know, like if you, if you like race cars, just go design the fucking best dashboard for a race car. Um, or like yeah, work it's, towards that. It's, yep. It's uh, to some degree taking your interests or things that uh, you've benefited from and work right. in those industries. Cause you'll probably have a, a much better time than someone who's just looking for a regular old job. Right. Right. Totally. Um, so how'd you end up at operator? That's, um, that's, that's where you are now. Right. So I, okay. So at Omada health, um, we had a really good team and, and I was, um, I don't know. I was, I was working. I was pretty happy. Um, I think in general, what I wanted to do more of was, again, like maybe a little selfish, but like I wanted to improve myself with product development and how to build better software, or at least like how to be exposed um, to a team of people who who build really good stuff, um, really extraordinary stuff. And I was really interested in, and I still am really interested in the technology that we're building at Operator. And um, and yeah, so I, I got really interested and I talked to, to Robin, our um, CEO, um, and he talked about the technology. He talked about the future of the company that they're, they're dreaming about and they're projecting. Um, and, and I really enjoy that story. So that's how I made my choice to, um, to move to operator. And it's a, it's also a really small company. You know, when I joined, it was maybe like 20 people or so. Um, and the core team is, is really, really small. Um, so it was, it, it is, I mean, it still is really great that I'm, I'm learning a lot of, of things. I'm learning a lot of product design, um, um, practices. I'm learning a lot of uh, product development practices. It's, it's been pretty great. Really cool. Um, I guess I can talk about a little bit operator too, um, what we do. So people don't stay in the dark. Yeah, actually that'd be good. Cause like I mentioned earlier, I think I signed up for it. I'm not entirely sure. I'm look so I'm looking at their homepage now, which it, 
I was also looking at your dribble, which you posted a, 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 a shot of what is now the homepage. Right. Uh, but on the homepage, it says your next shopping experience starts with a text. So can you, can you uh, yeah. fill that gap? Because I think I get it, but I'm not sure. Okay. So it is basically, um, it is a new way of shopping. Um, so currently the, the existing paradigm to shop is, and this might differ from people to people, but um, basically you go on amazon.com, you need something, you go on amazon.com or any other e-commerce site and you say, okay, I want this. And before you click on that buy now, if you're really nitpicky that you do some level of research, um, mm-hmm. you read the reviews and you, I don't know, you do whatever you want to do. Like I, when I shop for electronics, I go to CNET. I read like some expert reviews and stuff. Yeah, um, you spend a month reading reviews and doing research before you purchase the you know hundred dollar camera or whatever. Exactly. Um, yeah, I do and, too. <laughs> <laughs> I think all all nerds, uh, all of us nerds, do that. Um, so what operator does is we have operators who have an um, a really prominent amount of. Um, expert expertise on on certain fields on certain verticals Mm -hmm. and like on the website you can see flowers electronics fashion tickets furniture or literally anything so what we do is we connect you to the best expert in in the area that you're looking for and we're changing the paradigm of going to a website and and searching and and possibly like searching for that website that might have what you're looking for idea Mm -hmm. to simply you just text what you want to operator Um, so we have an iOS app, um, and uh, you basically go to the iOS app. Let's say I am looking for a charger for my um, magic mouse or something. Um, so normally what I would do is either like I'll go to apple.com or maybe if I, if I want to find a cheaper option, I would be going to mm-hmm. other websites and do some research. But with Operator, what I do is I just launch the app. I say I want to make a request, push a button, and then as a text I say I want to find a... Um, a magic mouse uh, charger. And then what you get is an automate, automated response saying, hey, okay, that sounds cool. We're going to connect you to the best expert in the area. And then we mm-hmm. literally connect you to that expert and that expert asks you a couple couple questions. Um, you know, if it needs questions, I think that the magic mouse charger would be like a pretty straightforward request. Sure. Um, but let's say if you're, you can say like, hey, I want I want a jacket to wear to work. Um, and then the operator would ask you like, hey, um, so I see you're looking for a, a work jacket. Um, what's your style like? Or um, uh, what's your price range? Do you have like any, like, do you want to take a picture of yourself? So I see like what your fit is or what your style is or stuff like yep, that. And, and they're literally your personal shopper. So they, and then from that point, you just text the operator, then you just like turn off the app or whatever you want to do. And you go on with your life. You work, live, I don't know, go to the beach, enjoy. And then operators are actively searching this product for you. Um, and then they, oh, wow. they basically send you a, a message. They say, Hey, okay, I found three options for you. Um, and I'm sending those to you and what we call them product cards. Um, so they send you a, they shoot you a product card, um, with like a, a buy now button basically. And then if you like the options, you, you take the options. If you don't like the options, you say, Hey, you know, this is not really what I was thinking. I I'm thinking more of something like this. So it's, it's a total like conversational way of shopping, um, which is why you, what it used to be, right? Like you used to go to the malls and each mall, each uh, shopping center had its own, um, representatives or like the people on the floor, yeah, like a sales associate. Exactly. And then you would be like, Hey, I'm looking for some sneakers or they would come to you and say, um, Hey, do you need any help? And then you would talk to them conversational. Um, so we want to bring this to, 
um, to your pocket. So you don't have to be at the mall. So now you can actually talk to those representatives wherever you are in the world. And maybe the scarf that you're looking for that the experts are going to find in a, in a little boutique in Paris, right? So, so now you have access to entire world's inventory, um, whether or not that product is online on an e-commerce site has a SKU or not. So it, it's kind That's of a really sexy, cool. sexy thought. I think it, there is a level of um, behavior change that needs to happen in the States because of Amazon. Thanks, Amazon. One day shipping, free shipping. Um, people like that stuff, like Zappos. People love that stuff. Um, when you can buy a shoe uh, without talking to anyone, just with a click of a button, um, you can just get the shoe next day or sometimes same day. So yeah, what we're working on is more of like a, you know, you don't need to like real research anything. We'll do the legwork for you. Um, and so you can do the things that you love to do. Really cool. Um, and how long have you been there? Uh, so far, I think I've been there for like seven months or so, maybe eight months. Great, man. That, that you know, it's interesting. Cause I think you, um, at least from what you said, it sounds like it's again, enhancing a, a typically offline experience. I mean, for me, it definitely is. Some people, like my wife, um, she loves shopping. So she loves that research process. So like, sure, I cannot yeah, change her behavior. But for me, I hate shopping. I, I truly, yep. I hate going to a, a store or I hate doing research to, to buy, like you said, like a $100 headphone, but have to do a research for four hours for it. So, yeah, that, or, or Christmas shopping, right? Like. <laughs> So for me, this is great. I just turn an operator, just like shoot a shoot a request and say, "Hey, I'm looking for a gift for my um, for my mother in law for Christmas," and they just find three options for me, and it's great. Wait, can you do it at that level? Could you be like, "I want to find a gift for my wife"? hundred percent. Uh, be- I've hope oh my, my wife is not going to listen awesome. to this podcast, but yeah, I've done a lot of gifts <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, so the reason why I ask because. Um, your example was very good, but I didn't, it, but it, it sounded uh, somewhat finite, right? Like I want to find the best X. Um, whereas what you just mentioned also s- tells me that a cool feature set of it is that you can be a little bit more obscure, abstract. So I want to find a gift for my nephew. He's five. Right. And they'll be like, here are four options. Cause you're not a freaking five-year-old and you're also not a right. five-year-old wherever your nephew lives. So there's, there's a ton of context. Right. Um, that is lost in that. That's, that's, that, that's some really cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, um, so it can be that, or, you know, I'm pretty sure operators would be asking you what we call probing questions, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, they would, they would need to get a little more context. So the, the products they're sending are a little more like accurate and yeah, within context. But yeah. Like it's personalities it's, and that kind of stuff. Totally. But it, it totally makes sense. You should try it out. I, w- I will. Um, I think I have some ideas in which I could probably give All it a right. shot. I'm acquiring users um, one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we're, we're coming up to the end. There's, there's three questions that I have because I want to be mindful of your time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the first of the three is we, we've got all this. Well, you've got all this knowledge now, 10 years experience uh, living in different countries, also different, vastly different cities. If you were to jump in a time machine and go back and talk to Karim, uh, Karim of the past at any point in your life, what kind of advice do you think you'd give yourself? Good question. Let's see. I think if I went back to like college level, I would say study more stuff, just like learn more basic stuff that, that 
kind of opens up your horizons a little bit. Um, cause majors in general, like you pick your major most of the time in, the, in your first year, sometimes you study for two years, some general ed classes, and then you pick your major. Um, I would say, you know, take as many classes as you want. Um, obviously they they cost money, but I think they're well worth. Um, they just open you up to different things. And, and I was lucky enough that like I had an advisor that, that kind of sh- steered me towards this new major, um, that changed my life. Um, but just imagine that you, you did that on your own and, and you took philosophy classes instead of design and, and maybe you were interested in philosophy even more. Um, just don't, don't look at other people, what they do and don't, don't get inspired by that. Just try to focus on yourself and, and see what you want to do. So I think what I would want to do probably is still that like gut feeling of combining design and sailing and maybe it'll happen one day. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm not sure if this really, really answered, cool. but yeah. No, it did. Cause <laughs> I think, um, you know, it, it, to me, it's never the idea of what would you go back and change? Right. It's, it's cause that's not the case. And I don't know that anybody would change stuff unless like you were like in a horrible accident or something. Right. <laughs> um, but I think that question for me is always a, you know, you've got all this knowledge now, if there's like a, a little thing you tell yourself. And I think oftentimes people say stuff like that, right? It's like explore more, uh, stress less, have fun. Like right. It just, as bad as it sounds, it's, it's the things that our parents told us the entire time that we ignored. Right. Exactly. Um, now the flip, the, the flip side of that question is, let's say you're, I'm, I'm going to use a scenario. It doesn't have to just be in the scenario. Let's say you're at a, you're talking on a panel and uh, a college student comes up to you and says, Karim, you know, do you have any advice for me? And that could be, you could be at a panel, it could be via email, maybe someone you're getting coffee with or something. Is there anything different that you would say? Yeah, for sure. I actually, this happens to me a lot uh, on the limited amount of like conferences that I talked at. Um, this happened a lot, but I also get a lot of emails uh, from young designers. And I will give this message out since this is a public podcast do email me. Don't, don't ever, um, feel any sort of hesitation. Um, I was a really quiet student. I was a really quiet person in general. I didn't email enough. Uh, I thought I would be bothering people if I emailed like my idol designers or people that I looked up to. Um, so my recommendation would be just reach out. People are nice. And if they're not nice, it's okay. You know, you're not losing anything from yourself. Um, just email people, communicate with people. I don't know, call, well, I guess don't call people. That's kind of creepy. Um, but, yeah, um, now it is. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just don't be shy. Um, just reach out. You know, people are, a lot of people I know, um, most of the people I know, most of the designers I know, they're, they're willing to teach. They're willing to, I mean, you, we make fun of the medium articles, why designers should code or shit like that. But in reality, those people are are not writing those articles with bad intentions. They're writing those articles with intentions of trying to communicate and um, yeah, share knowledge, share sharing knowledge, and that's great, right? Like we need more of that. I don't care if it's if it's um, something hundred percent factual or if it's an opinion or if it's preach. Um, just learn more and and reach out. Don't be shy. That makes sense. That makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the last question is the super fun time question. Cool. Um, I always make it up. And I think I have a good one. So you've, you've lived in a variety of places and a variety of cultures of those places and cultures. What's your favorite food or dish? Oh man. Oh, a good question. There are a lot of them. Um, let's see. 
Okay, so I have different places. So, like, in Midwest, like, the way I was exposed to food was everything was so fried. But I loved it. I, like, literally loved <laughs> Did you it. It have, was so uh, good. Fried Oreos? Oh, man. I ate fried okra, which was literally... Oh, it's pretty good. I've had that. Yeah, literally one of my favorites. Um, and it's really not, not good for you. Don't eat it all the time. But in moderation, I guess it could be <laughs> fine. I, I just loved it. Um, but then, like, in San Francisco, we have this um, uh, Filipino burrito place that we went to actually last night. Um, oh, my God. It is called amazing. Senor Sisig. Uh, and look it up. I'll, I'll, I'll probably, um, I don't know, email you with like the pronunciation of it. Um, so you can like link to them. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Like it's literally is a, just like you go to flavor town. <laughs> it's really great. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, I'm definitely, I think I found it. S I S right. uh, I G. Yes. Awesome. Okay. I found it. Um, I'll, I'll link to them. This sounds incredible. So, so in in New York, we have this place called Taka Taka, okay, which is um, it's sushi, but it's all it well, it's sushi and it's Mexican. So you'll get Japanese inspired tacos and Mexican inspired sushi. Interesting. And yeah, and at first I was like, the first time I went, I went with my girlfriend. Uh, before she was my girlfriend, we went on a date, and we went because it was like kitschy. It had like the conveyor belt thing and stuff, mm-hmm. and. Um, we really loved it because the food is actually like the tacos. They're freaking phenomenal. Mm, um, sounds good. So this seems like right up a similar alley. Nice. Um, but yeah. So Karen, where can people find you online if they do want to email you or talk to you and all that kind of good stuff? For sure. Um, so I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, you can do at K E R E M Karen. Um, that's me. And you can email me at hello at K-E-R-E-M dot C-O. Or you can go to my website, karam.co, which you can get all this information from. Sweet. You can also go to uh, Dribble actually, and follow me. It's also cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, adding all that stuff. That'll all be in the show notes. So that'll be available Sweet. for listeners, that kind of stuff. Karam, awesome. um, thanks for being on the show, man. I really do appreciate it. This has been a really good time. Dude, thanks for finally making it. And, um, and sorry for all the email tagging. Um, uh, it's all good and i'll give you this compliment have, it's a design podcast but even though it's a design podcast i'm like feeling so hungry afterwards <laughs> i think i'm gonna go eat something all right well cool i think i'm gonna go make some cookies which i don't get to eat till tomorrow <laughs> but uh i'll be sure to tag you in like a photo so you can see all the, all the goodness that i've been preaching sweet all right that sounds awesome man. all right man have a great day karen cool thanks for, thanks. thanks for having me